This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, joined here in studio by former Secretary of Interior, Dave Bernhardt. How are you doing, Secretary? Fantastic, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Now, I've had senators on my show and you know governors, but I've never, I don't think ever have had a former secretary. So I'm really excited you're here. Well, the operative word is probably former. Maybe, well, you were, well, you were at Interior before in the Bush, and then you came, became secretary. So that, that's true. Who knows? That's true. Well, first of all, you're here in Alaska for the Alaska Oil and Gas Association Conference. So have you, I'm sure you've been here before, I'm, I'm assuming. I've been here a lot. As a matter of fact, and very few people will care about this, but I was the boundary commissioner to the U.S.-Canadian so, boundary. I read the, that um, on your Wikipedia. In the Bush administration. So I actually spent a lot of time here for that, and then a lot of time here as um, various roles within the Department of the Interior. I've been on the North Slope. Um, I've been in the Midwest. I've hunted out here um, outside of Toke. I've been, I've been all over. I've seen this, uh, I forget what it's called. There's a town where like the border goes between the town. That's true. Some U.S. and Canadian, and it's like there, they have these problems where they used to be before 9-11. It was like whatever, and... Now it's all hardcore with this. I think it's by, is it in uh, Michigan? Uh, Blaine Washington has that. Uh, there's a whole series, of, and, and certainly throughout Maine, there's a lot of communities that literally on the boat uh, are on the boundary, and it creates some really interesting issues now. Well, I'm, I'm really kind of, uh, this is kind of an aside, but there's a poker tournament next weekend in Dawson, uh-huh. and we have the top of the world highway, but they, they close it. And they used to close it in mid-September, but now it's being closed in early, like September 1st. So otherwise, you got to drive down to Whitehorse and exactly it's a go big, up. kind of big thing. So, anyway, so you're you're a former tr- secretary um, of interior under President Trump, but before that, you were uh, a solicitor, right, in the Bush that's administration. Right. So you, you've, and you were kind of in your 30s then. So you, that's right. I the um, I was the second youngest. I think I was the second youngest solicitor at Interior. The youngest being Ted Stevens, and I think he beat me by a couple months. So you grew up in, in Rifle, Colorado, and I grew up in New Mexico, so oh. I, I skied a lot in Wolf Creek and Durango, so I'm very familiar with Colorado. But, I mean, tell me a little bit about growing up in a kind of small Colorado town and, you know, becoming Secretary of Interior. I mean, what, what, how'd that, you know, I know you were a lawyer and went to law school, so. Well, you know, look, um, I think anyone that grows up uh, anywhere, and, and there's probably everywhere in Alaska that's like this, but the great thing about growing up in the western United States is that, um, you know, you are in an area generally that is surrounded by public land. So the community that I grew up in was literally surrounded by forest land, forest service lands on one side, BLM lands on the other. And what that meant to me was complete and utter freedom because um, my brother and I could be outside on our horses, on our motorcycles, um, you know, with a shotgun or a twenty-two. Um, and, and or a fishing pole, and the outdoors meant everything to me. And um, to be able to um, go out and access public land that was the same public land that um, 
Roosevelt had hunted on Mm -hmm. um, was just an incredible um, experience. And it inspired me to look at history, to look at natural resources development, to look at uh, the law, um, whether it's the mining law or water right law in Colorado. All of those things came um, to being as part of the expansion of the West. And, um, and it turned, you know, for me, a natural resource uh, law was really Colorado history. And, um, and my growing up there, loving the outdoors and just becoming interested in issues related to natural resources is really what powered my career. I've been in Alaska almost, 20, I've been here 19 years. I grew up in New Mexico, so... You know, as you mentioned, the western states, the more west you get, the more federal land. It's kind That's of how, right. how it worked out over, over when the states were being developed. Um, you know, right now there's a lot of tension right now between the federal government, and this goes back, I mean, even the Sagebrush Rebellion, I guess that was probably in the 80s. 80s. That's right. Um, you know, and there's this whole Bundy thing. There was that, that standoff. Why is it so difficult, in Alaska especially, where, where we have to fight so hard to access stuff on federal lands? And not just in Alaska, but in the western states, you know? Well, you know, first off, you have, um, I'll give you an example, and I think this really matters. Um, ultimately, federal land, you know, the ultimate arbiter of what happens on federal land is the United States Congress. The Constitution has a specific provision called the Property Clause that says Congress is in charge of uh, federal uh, lands. And, you know, the decisions made were not necessarily to transfer those lands um, uh, through statehood. And then ultimately, you know, up to the 1970s, you had the Homestead Act. You had a, a whole series of laws that were designed to say, hey, we're going to take federal land and it's going to become privatized in some way. In 1976, for multiple-use lands, we said, hey, we're not doing that anymore. And that was uh, FLIPMA. Uh, And as a result of that, you know, we have this large federal estate that is ultimately controlled by uh, federal agencies through the direction that Congress has given. And in different places, you know, there's interest in transfers, there's interest in um, different accommodations, And all of those really take an act of Congress. And so as a result of that, um, tensions and frustrations can build up. But, you know, if you're an executive um, agency tasked with following the law, you know, your job is to follow what is is written um, in the law and faithfully execute it. Congress can decide whatever they want to do with federal land. And here's the big rub. When I was going through my confirmation process, I met with a senator from uh, New York who felt very strongly that um, I was a little pro-energy development. He told me that. And he, you know, kind of gave me a broadside. And I responded back with the following. I said, look, I'm not um, interested in any particular energy company. But what matters to me is in the community that I grew up, Rifle Colorado, the decision on whether to access federal lands and allow it to be available for resource development or other activities, that has an effect on the future of that community. It affects their hopes, their dreams. And so my view is that energy resources, mineral resources, should be accessible generally. We should you know, ensure that certain areas are uh, set aside for solace or wilderness preservation. But at the end of the day, 
generally things should be accessible. And, um, and he had a different view in that. And his response to me was the following, and this was stunning to me. He said, there aren't very many people out there. There aren't very many people out there. And I was in like, these Western lands or like these, Western states. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was like, well, there's a that's lot that of flyover mentality. I mean, right, th- that's right. There's a lot of what, there's a lot of people out there and you're, you know, you're frustrating their hopes and dreams by taking away their public access. So initially you were assistant secretary uh, when Ryan Zinke was secretary. Deputy. deputy De- sorry, deputy secretary. Right. And then you became secretary when he stepped away. So talk about, and I guess I had read that you, you were confirmed three times in three interior, one, one, in, one in the Bush administration and two in the, That's right. the Trump administration. So the first one, I think you got unanimous. That's true. And then, and then everything's different now. It was that's, that's, 56 or 50. That, that, that's exactly right. So I think I got, uh, I'd have to go back and look, but I think, um, I think it's always, it's maybe gone down every time. Um, it was unanimous. <laughs> all you need is 51, it, right? It, that's exactly right. Um, I think I got 53 or 54 as deputy and then 54 as secretary. But um, here was the incredible thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I went into interior planning to serve as deputy secretary I've really had no, um, you know, I, I've never had uh, an ambition to be the, um, to be the secretary. And so I was, I was very sad when Ryan Zinke uh, told me that he was, you know, leaving the department. It was a little, uh, and I highlight this in my book uh, entitled "You Report to Me: Accountability and for the Failing." I want to thank you for. I got a, I got a book signed, so I really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think we're gonna add this to my book club list. Oh, I, I, hope, have, I have a book I hope club. You do. So. I hope you do. So in the book, and this is sort of a spoiler alert, but I, um, I, I lay out um, that Ryan Sinky was leaving, and uh, and he had been a great guy to work for with and and for, and. Um, on one hand, he's leaving. On the other, the Washington Post is saying he's getting um, uh, run out. So it's kind of uh, did, uh, uncomfortable. Did, did he leave to run for the Congress, or was that a subsequent thing? No, he, he... he ran later. He ran later. And so uh, it was a little unclear to me. And so I was summoned. Uh, I was summoned to the Oval Office uh, while he's... Um, while this is all happening, and I—that's what I was going to ask you. How did this go down? So I am—I um, get literally I get summoned in mid-December uh, to come meet with the president. You got like I, a text or an email? I or basically a... got a phone call that said, "Please be over here at you know I don't know what time it was, but like two fifteen. I mean, it was like, get your butt over here. So um, uh, I, um, you know, I had gone over to the Oval Office many times as part of like a larger group or for a broader meeting. I had never been like told you're coming over to meet with the president. And so I went over and, um, and I don't know what's happening. I'm thinking, you know, look, um, I know the president probably wouldn't personally fire you, but like, who knows what's happening? Like, I don't know what's happening. And so you thought maybe you're getting let go. I I have no idea. Like I have no expectation. And so I get, um, I'm, you know, there's a, there's a lobby uh, in the uh, West wing and I'm sitting in that thinking, Oh my God, how's this going to go? Um, I go to meet with, you know, there's sec- the president has a little receptionist, uh, not a little receptionist, but a little reception area. I go into that and um, I get told, get into the Oval Office and <clears throat> I start walking across uh, the Oval and he sit, the president, President Trump is sitting in the resolute desk and he's got his arms crossed and I'm like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, oh, shit. And so <laughs> I sit down, I sit down in the chair in front of him and um, he, it's incredible. He, um, 
he clearly realizes that I'm uh, nervous. I mean, he just sees it right away. And he um, asked me if I want a Coke. Uh, shows me as this little box that you hit a button and a person will come get, give him a Coke, um, which is pretty <laughs> It's like funny. the movies. Exactly. And, um, and, and I really don't want a Coke. I just want to figure out what my fate is, right? So I'm... Um, I'm, you know, uncomfortable, but he spends a little, this is the great thing. One of the great things, interesting things about Trump, he spends several minutes like getting my blood pressure down, just kind of BSing. And it was really, really neat. It was clear that, you know, part of his person, person, true personality is he's a host in many ways. You know, he grew up in the hospitality business and he, yeah, wants, hotels, yeah. he wants you to feel comfortable. So he gets my blood pressure down we talk about interior. He asked me a lot of questions and, and he's great about the questions. And um, we get done and he basically tells me, look, you're going to be running this operation for a while. As acting. As acting. And, um, and I'm like, okay. And he goes, do you have any questions? And I say, well, I have one. He's like, okay, what is it? And I'm like, who do I report to? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, who do I report to? And he's like, you report to me. And I'm like, well, sir, with all due respect, I understand the Constitution, but like, who do I really report to? You're thinking there's like a, a person he's appoint, like, like that delegated to I'm deal with I'm just trying him. to get my work done, right? So I'd like to know who I talk to in the White House. And uh, he's like, me. And I'm like, uh, okay, that's not going to work. But uh, like... Okay, and the reason I didn't think it would work is I had served in the Bush administration. And in the Bush administration, at different times, it could take six months for a secretary to have a meeting with the president. That's their, I'm, not, I'm, not agi- I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating at all. I could give you at least two instances, and I highlight one of them in the book, where it took six months for the secretary who had requested a meeting to get a meeting with the president. How many secretaries? There's 13, I think, right? Right. Six well, months? I actually, I mean, it depends how you define the, the cabinet, but, um, but literally because, you know, everybody had a view about the, what the policy should be. And there's just meetings after meetings after meetings. So I'm told, I'm told like, you know, I report to the president. Now I took over, literally I take over, uh, I become acting at noon on January 2nd, 2019, which doesn't matter to anybody on the planet, but it's during a government shutdown. So it's like taking, becoming a secretary, like on an, a ship that's moving forward with nobody on it. Well, you're, de- you're dealing with the parks. That's exactly right. So I make a decision. I make a decision while I'm acting after a few days that I am going to reopen some of the national parks during the shutdown, which is going to be controversial. So I'm like, okay, who do I call at the White House? Because they're going to read about my decision probably in the Washington Post or the New York Times. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'm not calling, who would I call? And I'm like, okay. Did you have Trump's number? The president told me who to call. Did you you have his like cell phone number? So here's what I did, literally. I called over to the White House and I asked for his uh, front desk, his his receptionist. Her name was Molly. And here's truth, and this is in the book. I said, Molly, this is basically David Bernhardt. Well, not basically. This is David Bernhardt. The, the, I'm the Tampa. <laughs> Hi, interior. I'm secretary. <laughs> I, I, I'm the Tampa interior. I'm the JV quarterback. And, um, you know, I just met with the president a little while ago. He told me like 
I'm supposed to, you know, give him a heads up. And I'm not really sure if that's true. But if you could like figure out who I'm really supposed to talk to, that would be great. So you're still not convinced you're reporting directly to Trump. Exactly. (laughs) And so, so I, um, so I tell her that and she laughs and she says, secretary Bernhardt, the president will call you back in 15 minutes. And I'm like, okay. And I hang up the phone and I'm like, that will never happen. Like no fucking way that's going to happen. That would be exactly what I was thinking, but I don't say that in the book. And so, um, so I hang up the phone and 15 minutes go by, I think, and like nothing happens. And I'm like, well, there you go. Now what do I do? Five minutes later, the phone rings and it's the president. And this is what makes Trump interesting. So I tell the president what I'm about, what I've done or going to do. And he listens and he's great. He listens and he's really patient. And then he goes, David, this um, shutdown has been going on a while. Why didn't you do this sooner? Which is a really legitimate question. But I'm like, you know, I was like, there was a change and like, like there was a lot going on. Right. And I'm like, that's very fair. And I try and explain my way out of that. He goes, okay. And then he goes, Hey, this sounds like it's going to be controversial. And I say, yes, sir, it's going to be controversial. And he goes, well, you know, David, maybe you should um, say in your release about this that Trump directed you to do it because you're the new guy, and I'm not sure you should take a bullet right away. Now think, wow. about, now, think about that for a minute. Can you imagine Can you imagine a politician saying to a subordinate, hey, maybe I ought to take the heat for you? It was unbelievable. And then he says, and then he says, hey, David, you're running the Department of the Interior. If you need to do something that you think you need to do, just do it. You can let me know later. And that was my mandate for the next two years. He was absolutely incredible to work for as a subordinate as long as you were headed in the right policy direction of the president. When did he ask you to be permanent secretary? Um, uh, probably about, we, we had a couple of, a series of different meetings. Um, and, uh, he ultimately, um, he he called me, uh, one night and he basically said, Hey, uh, go take your family to dinner. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put out a tweet tomorrow. Uh, Enjoy the night. And, um, and and he was great. You know, I had a several conversations with him, um, where, you know, one of the conversations I had, he asked me if I would take the job, if I wanted the job. And I said, uh, not, well, you know, probably not particularly. As a matter of fact, anybody who wants the job probably has no idea what the job is. And he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, look, more secretaries of interior have been in scandals than any other job in in the cabinet, like it's like teapot dome. I was going to say teapot dome. Yeah, you can just go on and on and on. Like you could find dozens, and I'm like, it's a very controversial job. If a person does it that really wants it, they probably don't know what it is. And then I also said, like, look, it also depends what you want out of a secretary. Maybe I wouldn't meet it. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, sometimes you want a friend to be a cabinet secretary. I mean, not necessarily him, but presidents have. And uh, I was like, I'm not your friend. Um, uh, Sometimes you want help politically. Like, look at me. I'm not going to help you politically at all. Like, I'm probably going to hurt you. And um, and he was great. And uh, finally, 
you know, came down to, um, uh, basically what I told him, I thought I could help him with So I said, I probably could help you with your policy agenda, mm-hmm. but, um, but you know, that would, might be the only reason I would even think of considering. But I think a friend, I think like, uh, ambassador to like Slovenia or like Botswana. You know, you well, you your- do, but, um, there are, there are actually secretaries who were like, um, very close friends to Ronald Reagan who have served. And, um, you know, that, that's a factor, um, you know, certain, um, regional, uh, you know, people are looking for, you know, maybe a Westerner or somebody else or maybe mm-hmm. a certain demographic. Or well, certain I know, I know just as kind of a local thing, but Tony Knowles was our governor and right. senator and he was considered, um, and when Obama won, he that's was right. for interior and energy, but, but, the I guess the rub was he's too oily. And that was, I guess why he, went. that's what I was going to ask you is there could be factors like that. So, so you work for, it was Brownstein Faber. I forget the acronym, but, um, one of the, one of the criticisms that came at you was while you were working in like lobbying and oil and, right. And, and that was something that, so talk about that. And part of me thinks, you know, obviously you want to have above board and you want to know who people are, what what they're doing, how they're making money, but you also want to have people who know this stuff. Well, that, that is, you know, look, um, uh, Every, every president has to make the decisions that they want to make. But um, if you look at, um, if, if you look generally at um, the administrations, what you'd see is a sort of interesting, and I highlighted this in some of my confirmation uh, processes, um, certain members of the Democratic Party in the Senate were very hostile to my um, professional experiences. And I highlighted to them that they weren't hostile to those exact same um, experiences if they were of a member of their party. And, you know, you could look at my experiences. I got a lot of criticism about them. And then you could look at somebody like the current deputy secretary today, Tommy Boudreau, and look at his client list and look at my client list. And it's really interesting. I think that um, at different times, the media has a different view and, and particular senators have different views based on who's sitting in front of them. And, um, you know, I had a Democratic senator during my um, confirmation. She was for a deputy. And she basically, I walked into the room and she said, I'm voting for you because of your experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it cuts either, it cuts both Well, ways. I run, like, it's in Alaska. It's a very small news, you know, website. And I hate to say, you know, be the person in the liberal media, but it's so true that like they look at two different people and they have, like you said, very similar. And then one person, usually the Republican, they get rake. I mean, this whole thing with, I mean, go, go into it, but you got this Hunter Biden thing. If that was Don Jr. Oh, he'd be, oh my God. Can you imagine? And it's I like, mean, they don't even really talk about it. And it's like, he clearly was taking the money. He was right. like, it's all obvious it's, what was happening. Um, and, it, it's unbelievable. Like a scandal, like you could have a big scan and this is nothing against, you know, not directed in anybody in particular, but a major scandal in interior um, today would not make the front page of the New York times or the Washington post. Um, but you know, anything Ryan Zinke did guaranteed to be on the front line. He, he was, he was like, I mean, Zinke he, was one of the ones that you'd hear about all the time. Yeah, and exactly. You don't hear, yeah. I mean, I think we hear about Deb Holland up here more because of, it's a, you know, last year sure. issues and the willow thing. But uh, I don't think the, unless you're from, funny, I'm from New Mexico originally. So I, I you know, moved here when I was in 2004, but my parents still live down there. And when that happened, it was kind of like, oh, wow, that, that's our Now, in, in fairness, this has gone on for a while. Um, I worked for Secretary Gail Norton 
Um, and, uh, she, she told me that like, look, this just comes with the territory and there's a double standard and that's just the way it was. And she told me that probably in 2000. So, um, you know, it's gotten, what's really gotten different is third party groups have become more and more, um, more and more active at literally hammering, uh, appointees. And, um, the, the intention from my perspective is to have the public service experience be so bad, um, you know, that you simply don't want. Well, to you, be you, in you end up cutting service. out. And obviously, in the Alaska level, I, I'm more familiar with this, but you cut out so many people who would want to run, who don't want to be involved for office or get involved because they don't want to go through the all of it. You know, that's right. Have somebody protest you at a restaurant or you know at your house or mm-hmm. you know it, it becomes a um, it becomes a challenge to get great people. So I read, is it true? Were you the designated survivor at one point? I was. That was awesome. That so that's was like awesome. that show, you know, that they have that it's, TV show with like Kiefer Sutherland. So talk, how'd that go down? It's pretty unbelievable. You know, I didn't know I was going to be the designated survivor for, uh, you know, until shortly, you know, a couple of days before. And it was a neat, neat experience. And <clears throat> I went through this experience and um, I got done and I was like, who can I talk to about this? Because like, you can't really tell anybody about it. Who, so, who, tell, who tells you, the president? or um, I found out through um, a White House protocol process. And, um, and the, what I ended up doing, honestly, is um, Dirk Kempthorne, who I had worked for, had also been designated survivor. So I called him up and I said, hey, Dirk, um, I have one question for you. Which was more fun to you, going to the State of the Union or being the designated survivor? Oh, that's a good question. And he said, oh, it was 10 times better to be designated survivor. So he and I uh, completely agree on that. It was great to get together the state of the union, but it was really cool. Where's interior in the line of succession? It's probably done. Um, Well, it would obviously depend on, um, on whether or not anybody above them were eligible to be president. Okay. So you may have somebody that's not eligible, you know, age wise um, maybe, or, well, no, uh, well, no, that's probably, I think it's probably too young, but but you may not be a, a natural citizen. You Mm -hmm. know, there's, there's criteria, but generally you should be, um, uh, you should be about seventh. And, uh, and, and so typically, um, seventh or eighth. So do you, do you, I don't know, you probably can't, give all the details, but can you go wherever you want or do you have to go to a special place? Or you uh, they had it all planned out for you. So, um, you just, as a matter of fact, um, it was, it, I mean, this is, uh, I don't think this sort of violates anything. As a matter of fact, um, not even, uh, my, my family, my family expected me to be at the state of the union. And so, um, Oh, it's uh, that secu- the, the when I, um, security when, is that when uh, I didn't show up, um, I have a whole series of texts where um, my wife and mother are like, where are you? And of course I didn't have one. How many has there been? I mean, probably not, not, not a hundred. When did they start doing that? Probably not. Yeah, I don't, I mean, not a lot I, of people I, have been that. I would world. say it's a real, I mean, there's, you know, theoretically one a year and, um, and, and for, you know, probably the last 25 years. So last thing I want to ask you, and I, I know you have to rush and I could talk, I could talk to you forever. You got Fascinating. I got Sarah McWard here. She's in the room. She brought you by. I know you got at the dinner. I'm going to read your book. It's, I'm, I'm definitely going to read it. But I, I read um, part of the bio and a little bit in the beginning. Um, how you talk about this kind of deep state? Uh, you know, you get in there and there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of employees. 
Now, now when I hear deep state, I think kind of, oh, it's maybe a little bit crazy term. People are yeah. conspiracy. But, but also there is, I see this in Alaska, so much can't get done because you have people 10, 12, 20 steps down the line who don't want something to get done. Or I had a mayor or a guy one time who was working um, in IT in the local mayor's office, and um, they were trying to implement some some big shift and kind of some of the IT stuff. And they said, oh, yeah, we're not. And he was all gung-ho. So thought it was going to be, you know, a problem. And then some time goes by, and he goes, yeah, we're not, we're not fucking doing that. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm the IT director. He said, yeah, you'll be gone when the mayor's gone in three years. Don't worry. It's not going to just stop. Not going to happen. How much of that goes on in the government? Well, first off, you know, there are 2.2 million civil servants. And so there's a lot of good people in government doing stuff every day. And I talk about that in the book. And, you know, to, to be completely honest, my wife has worked for the Department of Justice for 30 years. So, like, you know, I, I'm, uh, I think there are some great people in government, one in particular. Um, but the flip side is um, the civil service is designed like the entire concept of the civil service is that it be a technical um, group of specialists that help whomever is elected um, move forward with their policy, irrespective of their policy. And what I highlight in the book are um, a whole series of events, not necessarily an in interior at other agencies. I'll talk about one in particular, um, but a whole series of events where, People were actively working against um, the policies and positions of, of um, President Trump. And my view of that is um, not necessarily that the president's policies were good or bad. I mean, that's, that's uh, anybody can individually make that choice. But the civil service has an obligation. Um, you know, they, 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 it's one thing to ask somebody to violate a law. Like, that's inappropriate. But, you know, you don't get to make a policy choice at the end of the day. That's, that's for a superior to make a decision. And let me give you an example, because this one is, is highlighted in my book, but she wrote her own book about it. So there's a gal named Deborah Burks who was very involved in the COVID uh, response efforts um, at the White House. And Deborah, in her own book, explains that she developed what she called, quote, a workaround. And here was the workaround. Um, the White House, uh, it's, she was writing material that she was going to send out to the public. And the White House, who she reported to, was um, looking at the material that before it went out in public, just like I, as a lawyer, you know, a, a letter probably wouldn't go out um, without, you know, an, that my associate was writing unless I looked at it, okay? And she, she was writing material, and the White House would give her comments. So they'd say, like, you know, fix this or do that, and they'd give them in red line. And she would go in, she says, and make the comments that they wanted, and then take the comments they didn't like, put them in different places in the document, and then send it back, and if it didn't get caught, it would go out to the public. Now... What's amazing? She, she admitted that <laughs> she writes. Well, what's that's right. She not only <laughs> it's clever. She, she not only write like admits it, but she writes about it in her book. And like generally, if if a manager heard this, they would think like this is insubordination. But we've gotten to a point that not only is it like not appropriate and you shouldn't do it, but it's so appropriate that I'm going to write a book about it and I can explain what I did as a positive. And that is not where the civil service can be. When 
when uh, an election goes one way and, you know, um, my candidate wasn't Joe Biden, but I expect the civil service to try and do um, the policy vision that Joe Biden has. Like, that's their job, not my job. My job is to vote and advocate for a different policy and hope that there's a different one. Their job is to work for them or work for the next administration or work for Trump. And if they don't do that, they are negating not only the view of the president, but the view of the voters. And if they are to do that, that means we don't have a democratic republic. And I think that is a massive problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I write about in the book, despite the fact that we have a lot of great people in government, we have more and more of that going on. And my big fear is that it became acceptable under Trump and there'll be another president someday who has a different policy vision that people don't want to follow. And it'll even be more acceptable to do that. And that undermines representative government in a way that's improper. Well, it's, I mean, it's subverting the, you know, will of the will people. Of, you know. right. uh, I know you got to run soon, but one more question. Um, Joe Baylash, our Alaskan Joe Baylash was uh, in your role that you were previously in the uh, deputy secretary of interior. He was the assistant secretary for land and minerals. Okay. I keep getting these mixed up assistant and deputy, but he was there when you were there. So absolutely. I need, I need a Joe Baylash story. I got, so, I need something. From so me. Joe claims to me that he's the world's greatest wrestler from Alaska. Okay. He was a, he was and, a, I think he was a cha- champ state. Was he cha- state, state champion or he, he was, was, he was a, he was, he was up there. Okay. He was a good so, wrestler. So that, that was Joe's rap. Now here's the thing. First off, Joe is a phenomenal guy, phenomenal Alaskan, phenomenally dedicated to um, uh, everything in Alaska. He's a great, great person, great employee, great leader, but not the best dresser. Okay, not the best dresser. Um, and how do you uh, know this? Because look, I had to supervise him, and so you know, sometimes I'm like, "Hey, Joe, you need to like." step it up. And, um, and so, uh, I would say that other, other than, other than that would be the worst dig I'd have to Joe Baylash is he can really put things on when he wants to, but sometimes he doesn't. Well, secretary burnout, this has been a, that's a great, I'm going to have to like, publish this podcast. I'm sending it right over to Joe. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I, the book is you report to me and I'm definitely going to, I, you're speaking, you spoke today at the Alaska Oil and Gas Association conference. I did. And, um, when do you leave? When do you leave? Are you staying for a couple days? Couple days. I'm out. I'm out tomorrow afternoon. I think. Hopefully, tomorrow. we get a sunny day, day tomorrow, and you can enjoy the weather. But thank you for coming on. Fascinating conversation, and, and uh, I hope to maybe have you on sometime next time you're in Alaska or in the future. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you again, Secretary Bernard. Appreciate that, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.